Sawbones is a show about medical history, and nothing the hosts say should be taken as medical advice or opinion. It's for fun. Can't you just have fun for an hour and not try to diagnose your mystery boil? We think you've earned it. Just sit back, relax, and enjoy a moment of distraction from that weird growth. You're worth it. <laughs> Hello, everybody, and welcome to Sawbones, a marital tour of misguided medicine, and I am your co-host, Justin McElroy. And I'm Sydney McElroy, here in Justin's basement ice cave, where he keeps things very cold, Honey, and I the, have to wear a blanket. The heater is on. It's like I so turn the cold. heat on. It's not cold. Justin's it's never cold. Basement ice cave where the recording studio lies. You need to just get a few layers of scrumptious padding like me, keep you warm all winter long. Uh, well, Sid, I'm. I, I hate to to say it, you sound a little bit tired to me. What's going on, I, with Justin? You? I am not a little bit tired. Oh, okay, my mistakes. I am I, incredibly tired. <laughs> I'm extremely tired. I just have finished a week of inpatient hospital service. Oh, I think yes. I've explained what that because I, I take for granted that that means something. It's basically the week that Sydney is in charge of her department and the people in the hospital that are checked into her department of the hospital. That's, that's sort of, yes. Department sounds more physical than it is. It, I was going to say it's not. It's but, not a location. We have yeah. patient because we're a family medicine service. We have patients all over the hospital, of all ages, with all sorts of things going on, and uh, I'm in charge of a team of residents and students, and we take care of all these people. And we have a very, if you're familiar at all with sort of the family medicine training process, if you're in the medical world, family medicine doesn't always have a very rigorous hospital service. Mm -hmm. Our program is uh, unique in that way. We run a very, very busy, intense hospital service because a lot of our graduates go on to do hospital medicine. So it's an intense week. This is what, that's why I'm saying this. I'm not trying to brag. Always I'm just saying it's week. an intense week. A lot it's, of times it's a very we, busy, nonstop week. A lot of times if we miss a sawbones, it is because Sydney has been in hospital service. And it is literally up at 6 a.m. and... Go, going until I mean you get on the phone with the hospital after the the girls are asleep so you mm -hmm. can imagine it's very much like yeah I'm know. not I'm not physically there for seven days 24 hours a day but I am I'm physically there for much of it and then mentally and emotionally there <laughs> all of the other hours it's it's hard I can't even really sleep well even when I'm not getting calls throughout the night like it's I that can't. little tenth of your brain that like is keeping that's you mulling over. Yeah. 
Should we have bumped those fluids up a little bit more? Or, oh, I wonder how so-and-so is doing right now. Maybe I should call and check in again and, you know, yeah. those kinds of things. Um, anyway, but the reason that I bring all this up is to frame before the end of the year, we were doing some fun things, some light things, but a lot of people have been emailing in and asking uh, for us to talk a little bit about COVID, specifically Omicron mm -hmm. and the most recent surge, wave, yeah. whatever word you want to use, spike. Um, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. Tra tra meme. Meme? Is it COVID's trending again? <laughs> Is that the way trending. you want to look at it? <laughs> Hashtag Omicron this time. It's gone viral. <laughs> no, 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 no. Yeah, you're actually not no, allowed no, to no, say no, that no, anymore. No. We decided that on a previous episode. You're not allowed to say anything's gone viral anymore. I, and I also, well, I also wanted to talk about it because I think that, and, and we even mentioned this sort of peripherally, that there has been a, um, an idea that perhaps this variant will cause for an individual who gets it a less severe disease process than the previous vari variants. And I'm choosing my words very carefully because that sentence is very different from saying this surge will be milder. That has a lot more implication. And I've heard a lot of people say that. Well, this will be more mild. And I think that it's really important from a public health standpoint to tease out the difference between the individual experience of one person who contracts this Omicron variant of mm -hmm. coronavirus mm -hmm. and the overall societal experience of this surge. Yes. Do you know what I'm saying? Sure, yeah. Because that is not mild. Um, and I can tell you that from very recent firsthand experience that uh, from a public health standpoint, what is happening right now is not mild. Well, let's talk about how you want to get into it, Sid. I, I, well, how do you want to start? Um, first of all, I want to, this is anecdotal. Um, this is not evidence. This is not, I did not do a study while I've been on service this week. I didn't, I am just telling you from, from being on a very busy inpatient service in Huntington, West Virginia for a week. Mm -hmm. uh, we have admitted a good number of COVID patients to our hospital. The Of the ones whose care I've been involved in, I can tell you that the people who have been admitted with symptoms of COVID who have become ill enough to require hospitalization, to require intensive care, intubation, anything severe, have a hundred percent of the ones that I have taken care of have been unvaccinated. That has been to repeat. That is anecdotal because it is just my personal experience from the last week. But a hundred percent of the patients that were severely ill were unvaccinated. The patients that I took care of who had COVID who were vaccinated, um, all except for one, came in for something else. They just happened to also have COVID. Mm -hmm. And the one that came in for COVID was, again, not severely ill. So um, I think that I, I just say that to because you, you hear a lot of information about, oh, but a lot of vaccinated people are getting this new variant. Yes, but getting the uh, well, first of all, they're not getting at the same rates as the unvaccinated. And secondly, uh, they're not getting as severely ill. Your chances of being hospitalized, going to the intensive care unit, being intubated and dying of COVID are much, much higher if you are unvaccinated. And 
while this was just my anecdotal experience, it's backed up by every piece of evidence we've collected so far. So just illustrative of that. Okay. Okay. We should also mention, and I don't know, whatever we talk about your experiences, um, which are obviously not going to be patient specific. No. I no, had this I, one I guy. Won't, no, I won't share but like any. They, whatever we're talking about should not necessarily be or not be a judgment on the your your workplace. Like this is not a... No, I mean, you can make a comment about the state we live in because you can look up our vaccination statistics if you feel so inclined. More like vaccination stink. stink, (laughs) Um, stink. It's a a shame because we live in a state that took a lead. West Virginia took a... Vaccination. (laughs) Took a lead early on in the pandemic. Um, Yeah, remember that? Remember that weird We were like the most (laughs) vaccinated state for just a minute. But it was because we were just very efficient at vaccinating the small percentage of people <laughs> who wanted it. Now, yeah, right. it's not small, but it's not enough. Um, we just have we have a high rate of people who have refused to take. We the literally went from being the number one most vaccinated in the nation per capita to our governor throwing out guns and trucks while his dog begs people to get vaccinated. Yeah. Do it for baby dog. Do it for baby Do dog. It for baby. He's still on that. He's still trying it. It's not working. It's not catching on. Although I would get a do it for baby dog t-shirt. They're out sure. there. Yeah. No, there's sure. plenty of stickers. and later. Yeah, you can get all those things if you want. Um, so, again, I just, I, that is my, that is my experience. Um, the vaccine continues to be protective against severe illness and death, um, no matter what the variant is. And it still does decrease your chances of getting it, even if it's less so with the Omicron variant. Um, the booster especially, I don't know if you've seen the recent estimates. It, t- it took us a minute to collect the data on Omicron. But there was this really concerning, like, well, with two doses of one of the mRNA vaccines, I think Pfizer is the one they tested first, the, the estimate was that you're protected, like, only 35% from getting it. Again, this is not severe illness and disease or and right. death. This is from getting it all but with a booster that goes up to 75 percent which is the underlines the importance of that booster yeah that you know you don't even get it and that helps you protect the people around you who maybe maybe you have somebody in your life who can't get vaccinated or who did get vaccinated but has some sort of immunosuppressive you know some, some reason why they didn't respond to the vaccine the way you would hope they would so um this is the this is what i would say about omicron and you've probably read a lot of articles about this Many, if not most, if not all, I don't know how big you want that number to go, of us are going to get this variant. Mm-hmm. Um, that is sort of the thought process now. And we're seeing that, right? A lot of high-profile like celebrities and political figures and all kinds of people that um, would make a headline if they got COVID have gotten COVID, right? Right. Um, and these are people who have been vocally vaccinated right. and boosted like, and so we know that right yeah. um so uh, right now we it seems that it spreads two to three times faster than the delta variant um the doubling time of cases is like two to four days so uh, we talked a lot about early on in the pandemic the idea of the are not like how many people you're likely to give it to when you're infected the original covid was like two and a half and then Delta was like seven. Yeah. And this could be as high as 10. So, I mean, it's just, it's extremely contagious. And the contagiousness of it also makes um, contact tracing. Because like, what do you Difficult. Do? Tell me about all the places you've been in the past 
And yeah. Well, it's not just that. It's it's how fast. So before, you know how um, that was, I think, a notable thing about COVID when it first started is we knew that after you were exposed, you may not show symptoms even up to 14 days. Now, as time has progressed, we've accepted that it's probably sooner than that. Even with the original COVID for most people, it was sooner, um, seven, 10 days, whatever. But now with Omicron, people are showing symptoms within two days of getting exposed, which means they are contagious possibly within two days <laughs> of getting it, two to three you know, somewhere between two and four is the popular opinion, but up to two. And the point is, if you don't know you've been exposed until you're already symptomatic and exposing other people, do you see what I'm saying? You don't have a, there's not a, enough lag time to get in there and do contact tracing and stop exposures. People are going to get infected, have no idea they got infected. And by the time they're notified, oh, you were exposed to COVID, they'll have already infected other people. It's just because it, it's spreading so much faster. Um, and I don't mean that to be like scary or hopeless. It just is. It is what it is. It is that variant. It is this variant. But what that just means is if a tool like contact tracing is starting to become a little less effective, that doesn't mean we shouldn't try to keep track of, oh, I have, you know, I have COVID. Who, who have I been around? Of course, you always should so that you can warn people and, you know, people can get tested and isolate and all that. Um, but it makes it more important that we use all the other tools we have. Right. Right. So if contact tracing isn't the main thing, um, one is, you know, getting vaccinated. Because as I said, it still helps to mitigate this variant. You know, it is not as protective as it was against Delta or original flavor of... <laughs> Wish we'd come up with a cool name for it back then. Alpha and beta. Hmm. What's the C one? Uh, I don't know. I, I did. I wasn't in a fraternity or sorority. Well, actually, no, that's not true. I was in the chemistry fraternity, but they didn't make you memorize the Greek alphabet in the chemistry fraternity. You know, that seems weird. Of all the fraternities where they make you memorize the Greek alphabet, don't you feel like the chemistry fraternity is the one where they should have? I think it's gamma. Alpha, beta, gamma, delta. Well, there have been other variants. They just maybe haven't risen to the level that, you know, Listen, we were that worried here's about. Here's the them. thing is, 24 is Omega. So if we get there, <laughs> if we get to Omega, things have gone off the off the deep end. There was a lot of, um, by the way, I don't know if you read that. So when it first got named Omicron, did you hear all of the, everybody worried about like why Omicron? What, oh, what yeah, did we that's skip? a good point, actually, yeah. We skipped some letters, right? Yeah, we skipped 15, some Greek letters in there. 15 is Omicron. Um, well, I mean, part of it is, again, there have been variants that we haven't, like, we haven't talked about because they just didn't go anywhere. Um, the next letter up for Omicron was actually new, mm -hmm. but they thought it would <laughs> get confusing. Mm-hmm. You because, have you have new COVID. Oh, uh, oh yeah. Okay, well, that's right. True. Like it's like a, <laughs> I want COVID classic. It's, I mean, that's what they were worried new about. COVID like, just tastes if, like flat classic COVID. If if we use new, everybody's gonna say like, "Well, I have new COVID." Do you mean the new variant or do you mean the new variant? You know, I mean, it was gonna be a whole was, Abbott and Costello routine because yeah. there because there will be other variants, and so then you're like, "Well, I have the new variant." Like the new new like is a new or you know. Anyway, I'm, I, I'm doing a routine with myself. This is going I was, nowhere. Um, I was uh, confused because there was a 
video game developed by Quantic Dream for, I think it was the Dreamcast back in 2000, called Omicron, the Nomad Soul, that starred David Bowie, and he did all the music for it. So I was very, I was very confused. I thought there was just some Bowie fans. So you th- you thought this variant of was coronavirus named after the limited yet beloved uh, Omicron the Nomad Soul for the Sega Dreamcast. There was another. There's another letter um, they skipped, which is X I. I don't know. Sh- G G G. Uh, and uh, they skipped that one because it is a very common last name in China, and that seemed, you know. It, and I think it'd be akin to like in the U.S. It would be like naming it the Smith variant, or um, around here would be the Adkins variant. Poor Corona beer is like, well, that's nice. That must be nice <laughs> to have people looking out for you like that. They they that's have nice. A, they have a policy to try not to name, um, you know, diseases at, in a way that would be like that would cause. A discriminatory view of a place, uh, a people, a location, a whether it be, yeah. I mean, well, we do, we do, right? And so, like, there is this policy now that we try to avoid that. What's the one that has so many different, like, oh, that's French, the French disease, or the, I guess it's more of a common thing. It's not one thing, but. Well, they did that con- with syphilis for a while. Syphilis, syphilis got, about, yeah. yeah, like tossed around. And then, um, I mean, you have, you have Frenchitis. <laughs> The flu, the influenza of 1918, which some people called the Spanish flu, was yeah. by people in Spain was not called that. It was called like the, <laughs> I don't remember. <laughs> I, I, we talked about it in the episode. It was like the German flu or the English flu. I mean, everybody na- blamed it on somebody, but yeah. but that's why we don't do that, right? Because as we have learned all too well, viruses and bacteria they don't know country of origin. <laughs> they don't know where you're from. They don't know what you look like. They don't know what language you speak. Yeah, they don't care. They don't care. And this all sign sounds very dire, yeah. but I do think there's some hope here. It don't here. sound good. No, I do think there's hope here. I'm trying to I, – I keep saying it as much for myself right now as for all of you because it's been a long, a long week. But before I get to the hope, first – You got to pay. <laughs> you got to pay. pay. First, hey, you got to pay. You want your hope. You got to pay your money. <laughs> uh, let's go to the billing department. Let's go. The medicines, the medicines that escalate macabre for the mouth. We have just started rehearsing for the summer theater. That's right. Summer starts in March around these parts, and that means we don't have much time at all in the evenings to make dinner. But we will not be just consuming Wendy's, uh, although there will be some Wendy's consumed. But we are going to have a little extra help with Factor, which delivers ready-to-eat delicious meals right to your door. And not like junky stuff you get out of the freezer aisle or whatever. This is real high-quality, chef-crafted stuff that in two minutes you're ready to eat it. I'm talking about some Southwestern-style turkey and mac. I think this week I'm going to be enjoying a shredded chicken taco bowl is 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 part of my plan. Um, but they got, like, fancy stuff. Listen to this. Where are you going to get this? Truffle butter filet mignon. I mean, seriously? From, from, from a, a box? Pre-prepared, all I got in two minutes, I mean, filet mignon. That sounds delicious. Yeah, it sounds delicious. And you can give these a try. And it's not just these meals. We're talking pancakes, smoothies. They got some great wellness shots that are surprisingly delicious. And the meals you just eat and eat. There's no prepping, cooking, or cleanup. Get as much as you need by choosing your meals every week. You're going to get exactly what you want. No surprises here. 
Uh, and the meals, I can say, are delicious. So what do you got to lose? Head on over to factormeals.com slash sawbones50 and use code sawbones50 to get 50% off. That's code sawbones50 at factormeals.com slash sawbones50 to get 50% off. Sydney, you know how you're always saying that you'd like to build a Justin McQuarrie fan site full of all your favorite quotes, clips, videos, and hunky pictures of beloved podcaster Justin McElroy? I don't remember. Well, there's that- no need to wait any longer, Sydney, because Squarespace is going to make it easier than you could possibly believe to make a website uh, all about your favorite hunky podcasting superstar. I don't think I was going Squarespace, to— Squarespace, what is it? It's a tool—think of it as— the palette, the palette of a web design artist. But you don't have to be a web design artist. You could just take stuff off the palette that is created by real people that know what they're really doing and put it from the palette onto the easel. The metaphor is broken down. Basically, you're going to be able to create great-looking websites that have fantastic customer support and help you unlock your creativity and do whatever you want to with your small business or podcaster obsession. You can sell products. You can uh, post your videos. You can share your stories about how Justin has shaped your life and is also a fantastic father. Folks, you got to stop waiting to make your Justin McElroy fan site. Go to squarespace.com slash sawbones for a free trial. And when you're ready to launch your Justin McElroy fan site, use offer code sawbones to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. You're in a theater. The lights go down. You're about to get swept up by the characters and all their little details and interpersonal dramas. You look at them and think, that person is so obviously in love with their best friend. Wait, am I in love with my best friend? That character's mom is so overbearing. Why doesn't she just stand up to her? Oh, God, do I need to stand up to my own mother? If you've ever recognized yourself in a movie, then join me, Jordan Cruciola, for the podcast Feeling Seen. We've talked to author Susan Orlean on realizing her own marriage was falling apart after watching Adaptation, an adaptation of her own work, and comedian Hari Kondabolu on why Harold and Kumar was a depressingly important movie for Southeast Asians. So join me every Thursday for the Feeling Scene podcast here on Maximum Fun. I'm Lisa Hanawalt. And I'm Emily Heller. Nine years ago, we started a podcast to try and learn something new every episode. Things have gone a little off the rails since then. (laughs) Tune in to hear about... Low stakes neighborhood drama. Gardening. The sordid, nasty underbelly of the horse girl lifestyle. Hot sauce. (laughs) Addiction to TV and sweaty takes on celebrity culture. And the weirdest, grossest stuff you can find on wikipedia.org. We'll read all of it no matter how gross. (laughs) There's something for everyone on our podcast, Baby Geniuses. Hosted by us, two horny adult idiots. Hang out with us as we try and fail to retain any knowledge at all. Every other week on Maximum Fun. All right. I think you've earned, earned your hope. I was just before we were talking about right before the milling department, the um, the best example, and we I think I've said this in an episode in the past, the best example of not being able to name a virus because of like the, the various names you pick upsetting different people with interests, mm-hmm. you know, and that kind of thing, like vested interest and in whatever you try to name it after is the uh, sin nombre virus. 
the no, no name virus, no name virus. Ha- the Hanta virus, which almost was named the Four Corners virus mm-hmm. for the Four Corners area of the United States, where the four states. Sure. Fit. But that was that is a popular tourist area. And if you name a virus after it, <laughs> right? Like then, right. then you're like, wait, isn't that where that one hemorrhagic fever? Bad, is? News, bad news. I got a, I got a bad case of Bush Gardens. <laughs> so I've that come, I've come down with six flags over America. So eventually, they they just called it the No Name Virus because you know nobody could agree on what to call it. It makes you feel bad. Like I don't know what the I don't know what the Ebola River looks like, but right. I'm sure not a lot of people. Not as much of a tourist spot. I mean, it's a river. That's yeah. where it's named from. Um, but anyway, the the thing about this is, like I said at the beginning, a lot of people have talked about the idea that Omicron is more mild. Mm-hmm. And I just want to preface with, first of all, I, I there have been some statements made, and I have said openly that I think there have been a lot of um, public health, especially messaging, just failures throughout yes. the course of this. Yes. Just absolute failures yes. in, in public health messaging. Um, and recently there have been comments made that we should be comforted uh, by the fact that the majority of people who are suffering you know, severe illness or dying of Omicron, of this variant, tend to be people who have four or more comorbidities so which i don't know what the end of that sentence is like so, so don't, don't worry yeah so don't have comorbidities right I don't, I don't like and and that's and i mean like the the ableism in that is so overwhelmingly right. apparent and upsetting and disconcerting right um because i mean that that's what that statement would mean so don't worry that that doesn't as if that me, makes it not so concerning or less important because these are lives that we do not as a society value as much is the implicit no but that's and the, I'm not saying that's what they yeah, that's not what like, somebody means but like there are going to be people who hear that and and feel that way from that statement and yeah, that's, but we that's also a problem ha- we also have to that's absolutely true and I think that it's what's hard is that you have to kind of like split your mind into when you're talking about this stuff because two things can be true at the same time. Two things that one death is a tragedy and too much and heartbreaking. And also one death would be miraculous if we could get to that point. Like both of these things, when you're talking in pandemic terms, you do have to get down to that like crass calculus if you're going to get through it while still keeping in mind that the macro, the micro as well, right? Like, trying to solve for both of those, I think is one of the challenges that we've had in communication, right? Like, well, my experience wasn't bad. So you're blowing it out of proportion, right? Right. That's the invert. That's the flip of what you're talking about, right? Is, is conflating personal experience with the whole global. Right. Which is, which is your personal experience with coronavirus may be mild, but that does not mean that this is a concept is mild and a life is valuable period. I mean, like if if someone has comorbidities or doesn't, or is at high risk or isn't their lives matter. And I think that the bigger point is that if that is your sort of way of thinking, then you're less likely to impose more, um, just anything, measures to try to control the spread. And I think there is a feeling that we're sort of telling people to get vaccinated and then letting it go. 
I mean, I mean, that's the vibe that I'm getting, you know, I, I, I think that masking is still very important and it's an easy thing to do. I mean, that's the thing I've never understood about the battle over masks. It's easy. It's It's an easy thing. Because it's symbolic. It's symbolic of these dunces that think it's like a personal liberty issue. And it would, but if it would protect people, it's such a small thing. I mean, I understand that, that there are implications, there, there are consequences of shutting down an entire economy for a period of time. And I know that that is a conversation worthy of having before you take that measure and thinking about how that plays out. Um, Just like shutting down schools. There are tons. I mean, we've seen all of the consequences of that. Mm -hmm. And, and so I, these are, these are complicated, nuanced topics that deserve a lot of time and attention. For me, the masks are not, it's an, it's easy for the vast majority of us wearing a mask is in no way a sacrifice. Mm. Um, and and it could have it could be pushed harder. That being said, yeah. there is good evidence that right now that the Omicron variant may well be milder for you an individual than previous variants. We have we knew from the beginning as soon as and that that's why we are so much better at responding to things. We know what the original COVID, you know, variants look COVID like. Classic. COVID classic. We know what these newer variants look like. We see the changes and we know what some of those different mutations and changes can mean. The Im- initial concern was we immediately saw mutations that meant more contagious. Yes. We knew from previous variant changes like, oh, that change made this other one new, more contagious. So I bet this one is even more contagious. <laughs> that information is probably easier to tease out, isn't it? Like, I mean, you just run them mm-hmm. like more than like severity of symptoms, I would yes, guess, right? Yes, Well, because that we got to see play out. Right. Yeah, you can look at the mutation and then look in a dish, a Petri dish, and see like how easily it spreads, how easily can it infect different mm-hmm. things. You can do that all in a lab and how easily it evades antibodies. <clears throat> so like how easily is it going to evade the antibodies that you get from having COVID or the antibodies you get from getting vaccinated? And so they did all that in in labs and went, "Uh uh-oh, we don't like that. What we couldn't know initially is when people get it, how sick are they going to get? Is it worse? Is it the same? Or is it not as bad? Now, with some time, what we've started to see is what, what a lot of people have talked about, a decoupling. A decoupling of the line of the rate of new cases and the rate of hospitalizations. We've started to see that while both are going up, because, I mean, like, you know, course, more yeah. people get sick, more people are going to get hospitalized. That's just going to happen. It's yeah. a bigger sheer number. It's not going up at the same rate. And what that suggests is that an for an individual person, their experience with Omicron is likely to be more mild than their experience with Delta or Alpha or Beta or whatever. We are starting to see evidence of that. Man, I hadn't looked at the. You said that and made me think. I'm gonna look at the uh, the West Virginia numbers real quick because, man, remember when that was like? I mean, it still is to a certain extent, but that was like a ritualistic thing for the first few months. Like every day at what was like 5 p.m. or something, it would update, and we'd go to see where it, it was when mm-hmm. like every single case really. Yeah, mattered because we we well we were counting them also in like ones and twos and fives and I mean I remember St. Patrick's Day of 2020 when West Virginia got its first case. Yeah. Um. We yeah last in COVID <laughs> now. Uh, yeah, we've had a rough. But 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 all I was gonna say yesterday, which was the second to last day you're on service. 
West Virginia reported 2,960 new cases, which, if you're in a very populous state, probably doesn't sound like much. But you should know that our last peak in September was 1,970. So it's like, to look at the chart, it's honestly like extremely jarring. But And we, and we have a high number of unvaccinated people here. And we also have a high number of people with a number of chronic diseases and, and comorbidities that will put them at higher risk for severe disease on top of the fact that they're more likely to be unvaccinated. So um, these are the concerns here. Now, uh, I will say outside of the fact that well, when we started to see like, okay, Omicron seems to be causing maybe not as severe disease on average in an individual, when they started asking why, part of it is because we're seeing it hit populations where people are vaccinated, right? And we know the vaccines mitigate the severity of the disease. So that's part of it. The previous mm-hmm. variants were hitting unvaccinated populations. Well, Delta, not completely, but you know what I mean. Now there there are vaccinated people. But there is something different, we think, about the way Omicron infects cells. Mm. It seems to um, stick to the upper airways a little more and not head down to the lungs as readily. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that would that would mean that while you do get symptoms, you are less likely to get the COVID pneumonias, the COVID ARDS, like the complete um, inflammation of all of the lung okay. tissue that can lead to respiratory collapse, intubation, death, all of the more severe things that the previous variants have caused. Omicron doesn't seem as adept at causing. That doesn't mean it can't. It just means it's not as good at it as previous variants. And that is good for us. Um, And what a lot of people from this early data have begun to wonder is, is this how we get out of it? Is Is this the way that COVID becomes something that is endemic? Meaning we will continue to get it probably seasonally. At some point, what we will expect is all of us will get it. But it will be more like, um, I mean, everybody try to compare it to the flu in the beginning. I mean, maybe it will be more like the flu where you get a vaccine. It will not be severe illness or death, but you will get sick. And we will have, unfortunately, some people maybe, uh, you know, maybe just for I don't know how long every year who do die of COVID. But it won't be. The, the mass infections and illness that we see if, now. If memory serves, I feel like the co-hosts of some medical podcasts may have, in a moment of uh, ill-considered uh, hubris, announced that that was definitely, definitely <laughs> happening exactly that way. I think some different... It may be. Some of the medical podcasts on Max Fund may have done that, mm-hmm. that the, what I just described. It, it may be. My it thoughts may be. are with and them. That's got to be extremely <laughs> embarrassing. In addition to having effective vaccines this time around with this surge, um, which, you know, more and more we're recommending one of the mRNA vaccines. If you have access to them, the Pfizer or the Moderna, we're recommending more than the J&J. Um, in addition— I feel like J&J I never for, heard anything about it anymore. Is that like people aren't using that much? Not as much. People, I do not think, are uh, recommending the J&J as much. That doesn't mean you can't use it, but uh, they're, they're recommending the, the other two tend to be more effective. So they're recommending those. They're recommending if you got the J&J, you would consider a booster of the Pfizer or the Moderna. So these are still your best tools. You should get them. Um, we do have medications now mm-hmm. that we think help. We have the monoclonal antibodies now. There is the bad news that the Omicron variant is not... Um, susceptible to the first two monoclonal antibodies that were out there, 
the only ones that we've ever had at our hospital, <laughs> um, don't work on Omicron. There is one that does work on uh, Omicron that is out there. So that is that is good. Citrovimab. Oh. No. Um, but that's it's hard because it's in short supply. Like we have none at, at our local facility, as far as I know. I don't <laughs> they're not telling me, I guess. Um, but there are other meds. Again, they're they're still in short supply, but they're coming out. Um, things like uh, Paxlovid, um, Molnupiravir. So there there are meds that can help mitigate the severity of the disease should you get COVID now. And that this was not true in the beginning of the pandemic. Plus, we're much we're much better at managing it because we've seen it. Experience has taught us the things that work, the things that don't. Um, we have protocols. Uh, those of us who work in hospitals now know. You know, just like we know all the other things we were taught in med school, COVID has now become second nature in terms of the stuff we know to do. That doesn't mean we can cure it, but we know the things that help. Um, and that that is all good news. Uh, the thing, though, not to ignore, and, and this is why I say it's different your individual experience to what it does to a society at whole. Um, our numbers are going up, up, up right now. And while... Most people who get Omicron maybe won't get hospitalized. If enough people get it, there will be enough people who do require hospitalization that our healthcare facilities have already and will continue to become completely overwhelmed. And we've said this has like been the refrain of the pandemic, right? Yeah. Well, it's happening. I'm living it. We are living it. All of us who work in healthcare, our hospitals are overwhelmed. Not just physically full, like every bed is full, but you have to remember that healthcare workers are also getting this. So there are facilities that are, are already just letting, you know, sending out emails predicting like 30 to 40% staff shortages in a couple weeks, depending on where you live in the country and where you are on your curve. Is it possible for you to, and I don't actually know the answer to this, like, but like to give... You know, we hear a lot of those numbers, but like to give like practical examples of like what that means since we're experiencing it now. Um, it could mean things like, let's say that uh, on, okay, in a, in a busy community hospital, you have a lot of people who would need labs drawn. And so you would have, you know, I mean, depending on the size of your hospital, uh, eight, ten, I don't know, at a really big hospital, 20 phlebotomists, I don't know, lots of people drawing blood, wandering the halls to collect all those labs. Because sometimes you need a lab immediately. Sometimes you need a lab, you know, in the next hour. Some of them can wait till the next morning. But but you need a lot of people because that information can help you make life, you know, life-determining medical decisions. Um, we will be in situations where hospitals, uh, and I've heard of these, have one person for the entire hospital. And that includes the emergency room where labs are often stat, meaning right away, in the ICU where labs are often needed right away. Um, and what that will do is cause delays in everybody's care. Same thing for like a respiratory therapist whose job it is to come and check like, is the oxygen uh, support you're on working? Is it appropriate? Do you need more? Do we need to change you to something different to deliver oxygen because what you're on is not working properly for you? Um, do you need a breathing treatment? Do you need, yeah, I mean, all of these things, if you don't have enough of that staff, so it's not just people who have COVID. It is those people. It's everybody. So everybody who needs hospitalization for anything, whether it was something planned, a routine surgery that you knew you had scheduled or something you can't plan for, like 
you know, a motor vehicle accident or a heart attack or, you know, a stroke, all of those patients are going to be getting less attention because our resources are spread too thin. It may have been to a point where Sydney was telling me, like, I'm not allowed to do woodworking. And um, we had a huge snow storm here about a week, well, a week just ago. a few days ago. A few days ago. Oh, my God. A huge snowstorm here, and we wouldn't let the girls um, sled. <laughs> it's not a good time to break your leg. It's not a good time to it's break your leg. It's never a good time to break your leg. But, I mean, it's just, I mean, when you know that ER wait times um, at different facilities could approach 16, 18, a whole day, I mean, hours, you know, I mean, like, that, one, be more careful. <laughs> um, two, this is a, and these are things you can actively do. Um, other than getting vaccinated and wearing a mask. Other things you can do are um, utilize healthcare resources as appropriately as you possibly can. The emergency room is is like the great catch-all for anything you don't know what to do, you go to the emergency room. Right. Well, I can tell you probably no matter where you live in the United States of America, your emergency room is overwhelmed. Maybe there's somewhere it isn't. But for the most part, <laughs> right. the emergency rooms are overwhelmed and if you have something that isn't an emergency that you can go to your primary care doctor's office or a walk-in clinic or an immediate care, or if you have access to like an after-hours call, a lot of practices have like an after-hours call line where you call a line, they connect you with like at our office, it'll be one of our doctors is on call every night and they call you and they can help talk you through something. So like, oh, actually, you know what? Yes, this I am concerned, but you don't have to go to the ER right now. We can wait, and in the morning, we'll get you in and just come here. Like, there are other ways, if it is not truly an emergency, that you can seek health care. And if it is one of those situations, I mean, if you don't know, of course, always go get help. But but those are things to consider. Now, what about, and this is interesting because you mentioned this to me earlier, but, like, that applies to, and I, I'm not sure everybody's realized this, but, like, even if you are positive for COVID, like, your first stop should not necessarily be the hospital we've we've seen a lot of people who have that misconception that if you get diagnosed with covid you should immediately come to the hospital it feels like the kind of thing where it's like everyone everyone listen i have the novel coronavirus and i need the <laughs> finest medical care immediately now and that, that might be some people's risk <laughs> and there are caveats to this of course if you are high risk there may be antibodies monoclonal antibodies that you do qualify for so the recommendation is that if you test positive for coronavirus, you should contact your primary care physician, your your provider, your family doc, your internist, your whoever. Contact your primary care provider um, and so they can tell you if you are someone who would qualify or would need the monoclonal antibodies. Um, for most people, you don't. Most people would not have a risk factor that qualifies you. Um, so if if you are, you know, someone who, let's say you're a vaccinated person, you get diagnosed, you do a home test, or you go get swabbed, and then you get a call, you got COVID. Yeah. You got some, maybe some cold symptoms. Yeah. No shortness of breath, no difficulty breathing, you feel fine, you feel like, yeah, you feel like you got a cold. You're, you're okay, but you got a cold. You do not, you do need to inform your primary care provider, you do not need to run to the emergency room for that. 
certainly if you have shortness of breath, if you at all feel difficulty breathing or chest pain, you know, then absolutely you should go to the emergency room. But generally, if you feel like you have a cold and you normally wouldn't go to the hospital for it, you just found out you had coronavirus, let everybody you've been around know so that they can get tested as well. Um, But you don't need to go immediately to the ER for some sort of treatment. And I think that's been a misconception. I've had a lot of people who've just come in because I have COVID. They thought that's what they were supposed to yeah. do, and some of them have been asymptomatic. Um, and that there's really not much for us to do at that point yeah. for most people. Things you can do is uh, if you have the means to uh, buy a pulse oximeter. It's the little plastic thing that goes on your finger. You've probably seen it at a hospital or doctor's doctor's office. Then it tells you how fast your heart is beating and what your oxygen saturation is. Mm-hmm. It's not a bad thing to have at home right now. Yeah, because you can find those. I think they're at like most drugstores. Yeah, most drugstores sell them. Um, you can mm-hmm. buy them on the internet. I've I've, I've bought about, them multiple um, places and given them like to people. Forty bucks, something like that. So they're not the cheapest thing in the world, yeah. certainly. And I, I don't think for the average person without a qualifying condition, your insurance would necessarily cover this piece of medical equipment. Unfortunately, um, if you have the means, this is a good idea to have. Um, and offer it to a friend. I know we've had ones we've handed off to people periodically we through the last couple right years. Uh, I, I always replace it. Okay, I always I, I carry one with me. Um, it's your keychain. <laughs> it is. It is on a chain. Uh, <laughs> it's on a wallet chain. Actually, Sydney so keeps it like like a like a ska fan. Sydney keeps her, her <laughs> with pulse the kind with the kinds of medicine I practice and coronavirus. Having a pulse oximeter in my pocket is essential. I think I should have um, said. Like like one of the cherry popping daddies, they have they have wallet chains, right? Suit suit riot guys. I, I don't think. know that much about ska wallet chains. Ha- I don't having, know if there's a correlation there. Having one of those at home, if you can, a wallet chain, no, a pulse oximeter is a nice thing to have because if if you are concerned, it can give you peace of mind. Obviously, if you're having shortness of breath, you shouldn't just sit at home and look at your pulse oximeter. You should go get help. Um, but if you're just nervous and and looking at that and seeing that your numbers are okay. Um, Generally speaking, if you have, you know, healthy sort of, you know, functioning lungs, you you might sit around 97, 98, 99%. When you're sick, it can drop a little bit. Um, honestly, anything under 94, I would at least go get checked out. Um, that doesn't mean you need to be in the hospital. We don't mm-hmm. admit people because they're under 94 uh, necessarily. But, the, you know, you should go get checked out. Um, but that can bring you some peace of mind. Uh, other things, to st- there's not a lot you can do at home other than stock up on like what makes you feel better during a cold. Archie's ramen. Yeah, whatever, chicken soup and fluids, stay hydrated. It doesn't hurt to have like over-the-counter pain relievers like Tylenol or ibuprofen as is appropriate for you if you can take them. Um, or again, like cough and cold medicines you would take for any sort of thing. Those are okay. You'll read a lot about different supplements that people will tell you, vitamin D or zinc or C or whatever. If you want to, okay. There's not a ton of evidence to support that any one of those things is going to make the difference for you. Um, much like elderberry and the flu, you know, um, but it's, you know, you can, uh, the main thing is to isolate. Try not to infect anybody else. Um, stay home. Take care of yourself. Drink fluids. And uh, I mean, that's that's the best you can do. Um, before we wrap up, Sid, I can tell, like, I know that how this week has been for you. And I just, I would like to give you a space to sort of, like, talk about it personally. Like, how, just to give people a more human side of, like, w- what your experience has been like. 
Don't make me cry. I cry really easily when I I'm sleep deprived. <laughs> just basically just said, how you doing? Um, I think that I, I know that there have been a lot of healthcare workers who have spoken out about this. And if you if if you look at the right TikToks, you'll just see streams of them <laughs> um, about how it makes you feel to be a healthcare worker right now. Uh, and I think I think what I would say, first of all, is I have taken care of a lot of people who are unvaccinated um, I feel, I personally, I'm speaking for me, I feel no anger towards people who are unvaccinated. Um, I feel frustrated because I, I hate to see somebody suffering if it could have been prevented, whatever the cause. I feel frustrated that we as a society didn't do a better job of answering the questions and quelling the fears and listening and responding compassionately, um, I feel I feel frustrated. Uh, I feel very sad for the people I'm taking care of when I know things are about to get worse and there's nothing I can do. There's not a lot of things that you come across with this regularity in modern medicine these days. I think that we take that for granted. Most of the time when I admit somebody, I know I can make them better. Um, or if it's something I can't make better, it's, it's the big bad stuff that we all know. And it's not every day. Um, now we... We daily admit people that we know we can't make better and we know we may lose. And that it didn't, it wasn't like that when I was training, you know, that wasn't the expectation. A lot of the patients that we admit are so scared and it's really hard to see that. It's hard to see that fear and that realization that they made a mistake. Um, I mean, some people are still mad and yell at you but but that's the exception the rule is that people are really scared and really regretful and realize that they made a big mistake and I, I only have compassion for people who realize they made a big mistake because I mean we've all made big mistakes that balances out me nicely <laughs> as, as a me okay uh, as a couple Sydney and I are neutral on people in that situation uh, we all make bad decisions and I have uh, I have devoted a lot of my my medical career, my personal medical career, to making sure that even if you've made some bad decisions, you get the care you deserve. Because I believe everybody deserves um, good quality health care and compassion and comfort when they are ill, no matter what happened to get them there. Um, and I understand that it's different when you have people whose decisions maybe have also harmed others. And, mm -hmm. that, and I understand that. I, I see that. But when I am standing in a room taking care of someone, it's just it's me and them. And it's not – I mean in that moment, I am their physician and they are my patient. And that is, that is all that matters in that moment. And um, I feel really worried for all my fellow healthcare workers – who are going through this every day mm -hmm. because there are people who, you know, I work in the hospital sometimes. I don't work in there all the time for people who are doing this day in, day out for our ICU teams. I, I don't know. I don't know how they come out the other end of this. Okay. I know that many of them are not okay. Um, and I, I don't know how much of that is, is made worse by the fact that we already worked in a system where 
you often are prohibited from doing everything you want to do for your patients because of financial interests, because you have hospitals and insurance companies and pharmaceutical companies who have an HMOs who have so much like who are trying to make so much money off of that interaction that they're getting in the way of trying to take care of that person. And there's already, like in the American medical system, there's already that baseline frustration and anger. And I've talked about moral injury before on the show. And that that is all that was all there. And people were already trying to figure out how they continue to do this job and not lose the part of themselves that made them want to do this job. And then you layer on top of it just watching the suffering, I, I'm i really worried about our healthcare community. I don't, I, we're going to lose a lot of really caring doctors and nurses and therapists. And I mean, we're going to lose a lot of people because they won't be able to go back to their job at some point. At some point, they'll say, I just can't anymore. I'm not there. <laughs> But and when they do, I will be there ready to answer the call. Dr. <laughs> Justin McRoy, the Doogie Hauser of the 41-year-olds, sort of a 41-year-old Doogie Hauser stepping up to fill the gap. It, it needs <laughs> – we can't count on 41-year-old Doogie Hauser to fill the gap. We can't – what we need is to recognize that we had a system that was – so dysfunctional in terms of what it was supposed to do, right? Like take care of people that that was so uh, not made to do that and and harmed so many people that when we at the first big test, it has failed repeatedly, and we need to destroy the whole system and rebuild it. <laughs> cool. I mean, yeah, there you go. So that we have so we have universal health care. We need single payer health care, and we need a system that supports patients and the people who work in it so that when bad things happen like now um it doesn't break because the system is breaking they're gonna there's gonna there are gonna be moments throughout especially the next few weeks depending on where you live or the next few months where you can't get services you took for granted where there isn't a nursing home to send patients to where there aren't home health services where there isn't physical therapy Mm -hmm. where you can't go see that specialist and I mean, a lot a lot of people are going to suffer for that. So we have to learn from it and do better. Thank you so much for listening. Uh, we hope you're hanging in there uh, as much as, as, as possible. Um, thanks to taxpayers for the use of their song Medicines as the intro and outro of our program. And uh, thanks to you, Sid. You're a hero as far as I'm concerned. How about that? I appreciate you saying that. That's got to feel good. Does that make it okay? It does. I, Justin Backer. uh (laughs) See, that's the thing. A man has said you're a hero, Sydney. That's all. Just give us some um, pizza. And if you guys could just bang the pots again. (laughs) What happened to that? What happened to that? Yeah. Um, thank you so much for listening. We'll be with you again next week. Until then, my name is Justin McElroy. I'm Sydney McElroy. As always, don't drill a hole in your head. Org. Comedy and culture.
Artist owned, audience supported.